Hey everybody, I just want to take a moment to talk about a new thing I'm doing. Over the years, many of you have reached out to me telling me how much you love the podcast, but also wish there were more personalized takeaways and more in-depth interactions with our guests to hear what they think about comedy. This is why I'm now launching my new digital academy, Blueprint for Success. With exclusive interviews and comedy philosophies of stars and industry veterans, personalized versions of the Industry Standard podcast, commercial-free, and one-on-one coaching time with me. Blueprint for Success will give you the powerful tools that will take you up the elevator beyond the competition and reach the highest possible levels to achieve your dreams. Whether it be stand-up, sketch, improv, acting, writing, producing, directing, hosting, radio podcasting, social media influencing, or even if you want a career behind the scenes as a manager or an agent. Now I'm here to help, personally. We'll go on an express train of comedy and entertainment like nobody else has before. You can find out more about Blueprint for Success and the comedy business on my website at barrycats.com. Together, we'll take your career where you want it to go. Have you ever been on a run, Barry? <laughs> no. You don't get a full moving operation. <laughs> you waiting for after you shoot somebody. Now, you have a TV, I'm assuming, right? <laughs> Come on, Barry. How white are you? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Welcome back to another episode of Industry Standard with me, Barry Katz, with my man, Keith Robinson, and I am very excited about this, and I'm going to give him the proper introduction, That's and right. then you guys are going to have a great time, because this guy's one of the funniest, just incredible guys you'll ever meet. All right. Keith Robinson is a comedian's comedian. Let me tell you what that means. That means when he goes on stage, other comedians want to run into the room and see him. They all love his act, and they all love him as a person. He's admired by his fellow artists, his great art of inherently subverting his audience, shaking them out of their cozy assumptions to fresh perspectives, sustains his comic dominance and prominence. His commanding stage presence has gained him appearances on MTV, VH1, HBO's Deaf Comedy Jam, TBS's Family Comedy Series, Are We There Yet? The Chelsea Lately Show on E! and Late Night with Conan O'Brien. In his teens, Keith began cultivating his wit with his back-of-the-bus funny, subsequently working the comedy circuit in his hometown of Philadelphia and securing a spot, as I said, on one of the finalists on Ed McMahon's Star Search. He might not have taken home the prize that day, but his career as a comedic actor mushroomed. He now merits a coveted comedic and acting career on the stage, screen, and television. And his impressive record of accomplishments include his self-titled special on Comedy Central, a standout regular on Tough Crowd with Colin Quinn, a writer and central performer on The Wanda Sykes Show, and writer for The Chappelle Show. He was recently seen in Kevin Hart's record-breaking movie Laugh at My Pain, one of New York comedy sellers elite, where he frequently hosts Keith's reputation, as best described by cringe humor, for being the best at impromptu zingers and one-liners that annihilate his colleagues. His numerous live performances, 
span the globe with stand-up frequencies at the Improv and Laugh Factory in Los Angeles, comic strip in New York, and all over the world. His new special, produced by Kevin Hart and executive produced by himself, Back of the Bus Funny, look for that. And you can see him in the movie with Amy Schumer, produced and directed by Judd Apatow, called Trainwreck. When Amy Schumer wanted to find the comedian to come into her movie and play a role that was going to help the movie add some funny to it and on the set be somebody who she could look at and say, wow, it's great to have that person around. She chose Keith Robinson. Please welcome my guest today, the man, the myth, I'm excited, Keith Robinson. Hey, man. You know, all those, uh, like, at least 95% of those uh, credits go to Barry Katz. (laughs) (laughs) Why do they go to me? That's why I got most of them under Barry Katz, under you. A lot of them, you know. That's a a load of all those TV shows. Hey, man, we got an audition. I'm like, "Ah, I don't want to do it. I make excuses. Uh, Barry, you're, you're pretty good, man. I give you that. I've done a lot, but that that star search still haunts me. I wake up in a like I won sometime in a new outfit though. <laughs> yeah, that shirt you wore. You wore you wore like a Hawaiian shirt that looked like he stole it off Bob Denver and the skipper on Gilligan's Island. Now, they, I, Sinbad told me how to dress. Don't, Don't listen, listen to Sinbad. <laughs> he said, because the audience will love you if they you moving around, they see something. They got something to focus in on. I'm like, yeah, Sinbad, I'll do it. Yeah, let me listen to a guy who also lost to a white guy. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it was good, man. That Star Search was good. Um, you know, we doing stuff. But Barry, Barry, you're a very big part of a lot of stuff. Thought process style. It's a lot of thought process that people take with you, you know, like I said, with the jokes and the and the fact that you listen to the jokes. You were in the clubs, Barry. You were in the club. You were in the clubs writing notes, giving notes. That never happens now. So, you, 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 you know, you're part of it. You're part of the, you know, how comics really, what really help comics. Yeah, I don't understand why people don't do that now. I still do a lot of that stuff. I don't go to the clubs as much, but I'll look at the links that people send me and I'll make notes on them. I love doing that. It's one of my favorite things. But I think it was great for for the younger comics coming up back, you know, when you guys were there. And we get mad sometimes. What do you want? But you gave the notes at least. You were right there. You gave a whole bunch. And we're like, all right, if I put that right this, put the okay, this will work. But you did give and help bring a lot of thought process to a lot of the comics. And a lot of times when you make notes, it's just channeling through me what I'm saying. I'm not the arbiter of what's happening. It's just my opinion after I hear it. It's just one person's opinion. Well, that just shows a creative process on both sides. It showed a creative process from the artist and the manager, which is great. It's a, you know, it's, it's a great thing for, for you know, that. And I wish it was still more of it going on. But it was. I'm. I'm happy. I got to enjoy that process because it was a good process. There were a lot of amazingly fun times. It was so great. You know, me and Wanda was roommates. You know that. Wanda was the kind of person who, when she walked into the club, again, I represented Wanda as well. She didn't have the smile on her face. There was something going on and I never knew what was going on. She'd come into the club 
and she'd give me a big hug and she'd smile and she'd share those things and we'd be happy. But then afterwards, you know, you'd see her sitting somewhere or whatever and being more serious. And then when she'd come in with her husband at the time and I hugged her, she's like, don't hug me. You can't hug me in front of my husband. Don't <laughs> hug me. I'm like, why not? She says, Barry, I, do, I just don't want to get into it. You just can't hug me in front of him. And so you never know what's going on. And it's true. I like you to know that no matter what meeting you go into at work or whatever you do or wherever your workplace is, you never know what's going on with people unless they tell you. And so you have to sort of be like a chameleon and be able to navigate as best you can because you're not going to ask somebody really personal questions like, you know, what's going on at home? Why can't right. this happen or whatever? You just don't want to do that. You just want to focus in on the craft of what they're doing. And Wanda was incredibly talented. But you also had other roommates, too. I've had roommates, yeah. Why don't you tell the audience the list of some of your roommates? <laughs> well, you know, Patrice, he, Patrice O'Neill. Patrice O'Neill, the late know, Patrice O'Neill. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, Russell Peters came through. A Russell line. Peters? Yeah, just a lot of people. I'd put, bring folks in, you know. Keep going? Uh, well, I mean, uh, well, I, I, I brought well, well I, just, I just brought little Kev, Kevin Hart, to New York as my young fella. You know, I brought him up. I, he's like my kid almost. So, you know, I mean, you get these folks. Now, you they, brought him in New York from where? I brought him to New York from Philly. That's right. I he stayed him at in your Philadelphia. place. Yeah. So That's I right. seen him in Philly, and I brought him to New York and, uh, you know, called you, of course. He called me. <laughs> he called me about Kevin Hart. And this is another story that's a great story is that, again, I am a kind of person who I just have my instincts and my instincts sometimes do not fail me. And sometimes my instincts fail me. Right. And Kevin came into the club and Kevin, again, like Keith. Always happy, always right, funny, always yapping, always doing whatever. <laughs> yeah, good yapper. <laughs> um, but when he went on stage, he just wasn't the level of comedy that Keith was or the other comedians were. What he had going for him, he had the performance skills. He was an A-plus as far as a performer. Absolutely. But his material was not there yet. He just didn't have the material, and it wasn't going over as well. And his voice, the way his voice was, it came at a time when Chris Tucker was at the height of his popularity. So here this young comic comes in, and he's incredible performer, but he's got the voice like Chris Tucker, but he doesn't have the material. But he always said to me, Barry, manage me. I'm ready. I'm ready now. I can do this now. I'm ready I can book acting jobs. I can do whatever I'm ready. And I would always say, just be patient and you'll have everything you want. And he, he said to me, listen, I don't, I don't want to wait. I'm, I'm ready. And he went to L.A. and he booked his first acting job he went up for, I believe. Ordinarily, I say it was a process for an artist. But I'll tell you something for Kevin Hart. At that time, when he told me I'm ready, to the point where he booked something, there was very little process. Right. <laughs> I mean, even though the pilots didn't go, which happens all the time. Everybody. Look, you know, Chappelle had seven pilots in eight years. It's common. But 
he was booking things and he signed with a manager and things just kept going and going and going and I was wrong. And every time I go up to Kevin Hart, you know, I give him a hug and I say, look, honestly, I truly am so proud of you and I was wrong. You were ready. But I don't have any regrets. Right. You but can't. I watch him and I see what he's doing and I love what he's doing and I love the career he's having. I love the fact that he's doing everything he wants to do. And, you know, sometimes as a comedian, it's nerve-wracking. In any profession, it probably is because you realize that your career as a comedian, based on history, if you look at the history of all stand-up comedians and their popularity from when they started till the end of their life, there are 1% of 1% of 1% of 1% that actually sustain a stand-up career that's monstrous. And every comedian in the back of their mind, when they get to that level, when they're working in the arena, they know that this is not going to last forever. Right. It's impossible. You can't do it. It can't do it. Dice Clay was the one who lasted the longest. He did 12 years doing arenas, NBA arenas. That was the longest than anybody ever did. And when Dice works a place, of course he sells out the comedy club that's three or 400 seats and probably makes 100% of the door and maybe walks out with forty or 50000 or $100,000. But it's not $1.5 at Madison Square Garden. Right. And so that's why Kevin's doing so many different things because you think to yourself, okay, well, I have to be in a situation if I'm going to create these things, I got all these things going. Then if one goes a little south or things don't go the way I want them to, I still have these other things to go. And he's really working hard on all these other areas. A lot of people when Kevin Hart did the BET show, they're like, why is Kevin Hart doing the BET show? And I'll tell you why he's doing the BET show. I can guarantee you one hour at Madison Square Garden he probably makes more than two seasons, maybe three seasons on the BET show. And you know how many hours he works on that BET show? But some things you do for the respect and some things you do for the cash. When you do a Madison Square Garden show, you reach 19,000 people. And you make a splash, but you reach 19,000. Right. You spread your word to 19,000 people. On BET, he spreads the word to 19 million people, probably over the course of God knows how many seasons. Right. And that's why you do it. You remain relevant. You do something you have creative control over, and you make it happen. But, Keith, one thing should be noted is the fact that it's amazing that some people look at me as a manager who've seen a lot of talent and rallied around believing a lot of talent. But you're like one of the few artists that... You see talent from the beginning, and you bring yeah. them into New York. They stay at your place. Yeah. What is it about your eye? It's my eye, my sofa. I got a lucky sofa. I need to go <laughs> sleep on that sofa. <laughs> no, it's, you know what I mean? But you look at the guys. I got new young guys already. They just come to me. You know, from, from yeah, people, I've, getting like a, I've gotten like 100 emails. Hey, man, this is such and such. I got to have it. Why are you telling me you gotta have it? You? No, I know you. I know you've been around. Know you helped. You're gonna help me, and I'm not, and I'm not taking no for an answer. <laughs> How about beat it? No. <laughs> so 
But you know, you you look at guys, you you know that you you want to see him uh, move on to a next uh, another place. I think you should sleep on that couch for a year. I'd, exactly, I'm gonna go sleep. <laughs> I'm become my roommate. Is it still the same couch? <laughs> no, no, it's a different couch, right, baby? That's it. No, but uh, you know, I, you know, I've always been blessed. So you know, but you just get, you know, you still get blessed. Just be who you are going to be. You don't have to be, you know, so uptight and angry or whatever you just be what you do and your talent should show through no matter what you should always have that you know you'll get what you need no but it was you know it was good to just keep you know you keep working that you're blessed to be in this business so damn long and you keep working i remember remember i brought you my 500 hundred dollar check that i won for um what was it uh the, 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 the liquor company uh, johnny walker johnny walker yeah a <laughs> big giant check I said, hey, Barry, put this up. You had Emmys. <laughs> you had Emmys in your office. Well, <laughs> Maybe an Oscar. I doubt it. But. Some, whatever, but, you know, because Chappelle and that all. And I bring my Johnny Walker $500 check. Hey, put this one on your wall. <laughs> <laughs> well, I always had such a great relationship with you. It was really wonderful. I was, yeah, it was good. It was good. That's when, you know, because I wasn't, I wasn't making no money in Philly. Then I met Barry Katz, and I started making money. Everything changed. It was a big uh, game changer. I want to ask you about that, and I've never done this on this podcast. Because you know when you're an artist, you look in the mirror, and you think you see what other people see, but you don't. Right. But it's the same with myself. Like, in those days, I never saw what other people saw. I never understood. Even to this day, when you say that, it doesn't resonate with me. I can't figure out what it was that I was doing that made those things happen for you, whereas they didn't happen before. Clarity. It's like you, you, you know what it is? You made things a little clearer. So you go, oh, that's what the business, okay. Just because, you know, we're in Montreal. Remember, coming to Montreal, I never knew nothing about Montreal. And I think, you know, with the new faces, that's one of your uh, uh, puppies to bring that in and to have everything. You know, you all had all of us up here. You were one of the people when I brought all the 18 people up. Yeah. And that was incredible. And we were doing meetings all over town. All over, yes. And with you, when you stayed in my house on the floor and Jay Moore walked and <laughs> threw you all out at 4 o'clock in the morning. Toss us out of the place. But yeah, but that's the and, but that's important in, in coming up. You can't forget that where the clarity comes in at. So when you know me looking around like trying to figure this business out, like what the hell? How do I? Because I'm coming from Philly. Because when I first went to Philly to do comedy, I looked around. I thought everybody in Philly and an open mic was a celebrity. I didn't know no better. I'm like, wow, look at all these stars. Those guys, <laughs> some of them may be homeless now or whatever, but there weren't no stars. Right. But all of them did because they were they were doing something that I wanted to do, but I didn't realize there was another level to where you're supposed to be at. I guess I was doing bar business. You brought me to show business. Interesting. Okay. And that, you know, that, that, because I, I absolutely didn't know nothing. All right. Let's go way back to Philly. You're growing up. Tell us what your family was like and what area you grew up in and what was your first inspiration to do stand up comedy? Oh, man. Like South Philadelphia, you know, like one block from the projects. That's what I would tell the girls. So they didn't say I wasn't in a project. So they didn't know I wasn't in a project. So I say I was one block from the project. Were you? Yes. But, you know, was same same dangers it was no different were you good with the women back then i was all, i was like you know I, I was the pete rose 
of uh, getting women. Charlie Hustle. So you're banned from pussy? <laughs> I had to work real hard. I had to work harder. You know, than other guys. Some guys coming there, they had the pretty eyes, the nice hair, whatever. I was, you know, Charlie Hustle. I had to really work hard to get what I needed. That sounds bad, but I had to, you know, I, I, put, I put in a lot of work. Tell us the story of the hardest work you put in to finally close the deal with a woman. Oh, to finally close the deal with a woman. Oh, what's man. the hardest you worked, the longest amount of time, dates and everything, and you finally made it happen? Oh, man, I went to Vegas with a girl, a girl named Pam, with my mom and all. We all in Vegas. And throughout Vegas, I'm damn near begging to do a little something and to get it going. And uh, we finally did it. And I was too pumped Pete. And she just didn't want nothing to do with me for the rest of the trip in Vegas. Too pumped Pete. You mean you were premature? Yes. And I'm like, and she wouldn't even speak to me. And I'm following her around like a puppy. You know, there's pills for that. I've never, but I didn't know. That was way, that was 80 something. And I, and I, you know, and I was apologizing to her. And I was following around, and she went to the back of the bus and said, Miss Robinson, Miss Virginia, which was my mom's name, can you tell your son to leave me alone? And my mom just looked at me like, boy, you make my butt itch. <laughs> and, <laughs> and it hurt me so much that I made my mom's butt itch because I don't know what that takes. <laughs> and that was her word. And anytime I do anything stupid, as far as women are concerned, I hear my mom, you make my butt itch. And it, and it just, that for some reason has resonated with me for 30, something, 40 years or whatever. Because it's like, oh, what are you following this girl around for, you moron? <laughs> I think if more people had a mom that butt itch when he did something stupid, they wouldn't stalk women. <laughs> okay, I got it. Well, it's, you know, it's what it was. Hey, everybody. I hope you're enjoying this episode as much as I am. If you made it this far and you haven't fallen asleep yet, then you must be the type of person who's serious about having a career in the comedy business. That's why I'm offering you my Blueprint for Success, a one-of-a-kind all-access pass into my knowledge and experience after over 40 years of working with the best of the best in this crazy entertainment industry. I'll tell you all the stories, all the philosophies, give you all the great special guests, and even give you one-on-one -on -one private consultations to help you expand, enhance, and skyrocket your comedy career. Just go to barrycats.com and click on Blueprint for Success to learn more about my groundbreaking digital academy that I've created just for you. With it, we can take your career so far that one day, instead of listening to this podcast, you'll be interviewed on it. So you're growing up Project Adjacent. Yes, I like that Project Adjacent, and uh, you know, just working, working where? Just uh, well, I, I worked at um, a Sheraton hotel. I was at a Sheraton hotel for I had I had all undocumented uh, jobs actually. So the Sheraton hotel, I'm stacking chairs. One time, you get on the back of a truck. You know, people come around a car. Uh, <laughs> A truck will pull up, and they go, who wants to work? And you get on it. It's mostly, you know, it was horrible work. So you're like one of those guys when you drive by Home Depot. They're outside. <laughs> yeah, yeah, waiting for. <laughs> so you drive by the Home Depot. Okay, there's always people that appear like they're from another country. I don't know what country, if they're from Mexico, but they're always there with their backpacks out in front of a Home Depot. 
presumably waiting for somebody to drive by like a John and a prostitute to say, <laughs> hey, how much? Okay, come with me. Except they're hammering nails and putting things together. And every time I drive by these people, I realize something that blows me away. They all have something that the wealthiest people in the world have, and it's no different than theirs. And that's an iPhone. <laughs> Angelina Jolie and the guy from Mexico in front of Home Depot have the same phone that does the same thing. What else can you say that about? Well, nothing. Well, when I was gone, of course, it was no iPhones. That's true. It was uh, nothing. You had nothing. Yeah, nothing. You had the was, beeper. The, the, yeah, I don't, I don't even think I had a beeper then. But it was just, you know, we just want to work. I was young. I was a teenager, but I just wanted to work somewhere. So I would go looking for jobs. And then I start, you know, looking at comedy. I knew I had this itch for comedy. But why? I don't know. It was something inside of me. I said, I want to do this damn comedy thing. No, but what influenced you? Uh, Richard Pryor. But Richard Pryor almost influenced me not to be in the business because he was so damn good. I'm like, ah, I can't be that funny. Then I seen comics on a HBO special. I'm like, oh, I can at least do that. I can, I can get some of those guys. Do you feel you have gotten to the level of Richard Pryor yet? No, no. Do but you, you just, you know, you keep, to keep you in comedy, you got to keep trying. <laughs> so, Do you feel you'll ever get to the level of Richard Pryor? I mean... Not really, because you don't want to, because Richard Pryor remains who he is. He's a, that dude. He's got he's got the best stories, the best angles on stuff. He's just he's an amazing dude. Now, I got to, you know, sometimes he's, he was blessed to have a horrible life, <laughs> so, so to speak. And, uh, you know, that's just what it is. Why don't you explain to the audience what you mean by being blessed with a horrible life? Well, as a comic, you know, the, 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 the stories come... You know, like I, I, I've had a lot of stories myself, you know, with, with life. You know, my mom used to uh, she shot a guy under the table and we had to go to at a at a card game. You had what you call house parties. And so when you have something like that happen, it's still comedy goal. You know, your mom, for whatever weird reason, you know, she shot a guy at a card game for cheating. And then the next day when we're, we're going through the alleys of Philadelphia with big trash bags to move to Federalsburg, Maryland. So, you know, like how you get a joke out of that? That's an easy thing to get a joke out of because my mom was like kind of a gangster in her own realm. You know, she walked around with a nice pistol in her purse and, uh, you know, she took care of our kids. So it sounds rough to some folks, but it's great when you live in that because you felt protected because you knew your mom. My mom would handle anything. Anything I needed, she would handle. All right, let's back up here. So where's your dad? He's uh, passed away. No, but back then. 70s, what was it? And it well, like, were they together, living together, or were they? Yeah, they were living together a while, but he, he's gone. No, I he know. Was he was gone early. Well, when did he leave the house? Leave, leave the house or life? Whatever it was. Growing up, was your mom and dad living in the same house with yes. you and your family? So there's you. What other children? My brother, my two brothers. Older or younger? Or what? They're all old. They're both older than me. Got it. Okay. I'm the baby of the family. Got it. So your dad just leaves the house. Do you know that he's leaving, or just one day you come home and he's gone? Well, my dad, he was he was on. You know, Papa was a Rolling Stone. Oh. Temptations. Wherever he laid his hat was his home. <laughs> no, that's a song, Barry. Come on, man. Now, my dad, his thing, he was a con man. 
That was my dad. He was a dad con was man. a con man. Yeah, so he was out working. Tell us an example of one of his great cons that you know of. Well, I just as a kid, just watching him work, I was amazed. You know, everybody else was talking about that dad. Saying, my dad's a cop. I'm like, my dad's a con man. <laughs> I thought that was a good thing. You know what I mean? And they were like, what does that mean? Well, my dad. And that's what I'd explain it in school when they, when the teachers ask you to explain exactly what your parents did. <laughs> I was like, well, you know how uh, you go in a store with a twenty to one dollar bill, and I look the teachers look at, and you come out with a hundred and eighty, two hundred dollars. That's what my dad does. <laughs> Tell us how he does the con and the cash register. Well, the con is like you know you go with a twenty to one dollar bill, have a twenty and a one, and then they call it putting the guy to sleep. So you can put a, a the, the guy behind the counter, and whoever's behind the counter, you can put them to sleep just by give me this, and you keep switching stuff off. Give me change for that. Give me change for this. Break that for me. Give that back. And by the time the guy is registering everything in his mind, he's asleep, and my dad has like a two hundred dollars, and it's and it's over. Who yeah. taught him how to do that? I don't know. I would like to know. Did uh, you ever do a con? No, we used to cheat with the cards. He taught us how to mark cards and put the crip in the deck and. You know, you know you have to do. You have to learn, Barry. Does he carry a gun? Yes. So you grew up. Your dad carried a gun. Your mom carried a gun. Yeah, my mom was a beautician, but she was rough. She was just a rough woman who didn't play when it came to our kids. That's why you know I tell everybody when you you know women have to they shouldn't have to be as strong as they have to be. Sometimes my mom had to be stronger than she had to be, but she did it. That's what makes women amazing to me. When's the first time you held a gun? How old were you? <laughs> well, probably about eight, nine. It's a little 22. It's like pellet guns. We just shoot me. My brothers were shooting at the door, at somebody's door. When's the first time you held a real gun? Uh Oh. I was about 17, 18. Got it. So you never reached into one of their bags and held the gun when you were a kid. No, no, never did that, no. Why? But it wasn't available. You didn't. I guess they put it away pretty good. It wasn't available for us to just get. So your dad divorces your mom or just leaves? Or he what? just was, he, well, he ended up passing away. He passed away when he was living in the house with you guys? Yeah, er, er, yes, at an earlier situation. How yeah. old were you when he died? How was I? I was like eight, nine. Eight or nine. Yeah. Tell me about that day. The day that my dad died? Tell me what was happening with you and what you remember. We were on the steps. My grandmother walked up like, your dad's gone. She never liked him. So it's like, he's out of here. And so we're like, huh? That's how you That's how you break the news, grandma? <laughs> but she didn't like him that much. And she said, yeah, your dad is gone. Then she went on and had a soda, a nice soda pot root beer, I think it was. And, uh, you know, we was like, oh, damn. But, you know, um, how did he die? How did he die? Well, he was he was murdered. Actually, he was a uh, uh, knife stabbed. And did they ever find the person who did it? Oh, yeah, we found him. <laughs> yeah, he he ended up uh, getting shot mistakenly on purpose. By somebody. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was, you know, an eye for an eye. Yeah, it was one of those things. Absolutely. That's incredible, Keith. You're growing up in this world that 
not a lot of comedians grow up in. I don't think right. Jerry Seinfeld was <laughs> project <laughs> adjacent. Project adjacent. So you know. you're involved. You know your dad's been murdered. Right. You grow up at a very early age. You're eight or nine. You know your mom is the kind of person who's going to figure out what happened, how it happened. Right. And you know that in some way, whether it be a short percentage or a large percentage, she's involved in figuring out how to take out the guy who killed yeah, the Yeah, something that goes, yeah. Every, but my, the, the family, when you live in a certain situation or whatever, like there's a lot of, I had a lot of family members that did a lot of things on the crooked side. So is this, this guy's percentage of walking the streets wasn't that good. So just so our audience understands, because I'm not from that world, if somebody kills somebody, mm-hmm. don't they know they're going to be killed? Not really. Some, you know, people do. I don't know. Sometimes people do stuff out of anger, out of whatever dumb reason people do stuff. They do it, and you know, then the repercussions are the repercussions. You know, like back in the day, if you, you know, I was watching was it the John Gotti story, and it, somebody had uh, just hit his kid with a car. He didn't. I'm sure he didn't mean to. And John Gotti was like, from what I was reading, that he didn't, you know, that he was like, hey, he didn't mean it, and his wife was so hurt. And then the, the guy ended up disappearing. They don't know who did it, <laughs> but he just disappeared through, you know. So, you know, it, it, it's just according who you attach to. Well, they, you know, they always say that, like you said something earlier, I'm paraphrasing, he was fortunate enough to have pain in his life. Yeah. Well, you always can tell with a comedian there's always that incident that happens where they lose their innocence. Right. So that moment on the porch, that was the first moment where you lost your innocence. Oh, absolutely. You know, but that's, you know, but we, we even, you know, where it's like when you had with your family, you have uh, like, I, that's why my mom, I love my mom so much. Like, you know, cause she just protected us the best way she knew how. Now you said she's at a card game. And she shoots a man under the table. Now, under the table, when you shoot somebody, there's a few different places. (laughs) We don't know. You know, that's now you could have shot him in the stomach and whatever, but she shot the dude. But then she has to leave the place where there's other people who know that she shot the person. There's people at the card game. Right. So there's at least three other people with her and that guy at that card game, plus people probably hanging around. Yeah, hanging around. She shoots a person at the card game. Right. She probably takes some money and gets up and walks out the door. How soon before you're in trash bags with your clothes leaving the house? Well, in the morning, it's like early in the morning, like four or five in the morning. We were on a uh, was trailways back then, I think it was. But you have couches and beds. and No, no, no. We had that. <laughs> you get the clothes and go. Have you ever been on a run, Barry? <laughs> no. You don't get a full moving operation. <laughs> you waiting for after you shoot somebody. Now, you have a TV, I'm assuming, right? <laughs> Come on, Barry. How white are you? <laughs> <laughs> you don't call a moving company? <laughs> ah, Barry. <laughs> but you have your most valuable possessions. 
sorry. Your dressers, your mattress, your TV. Think about you shooting somebody, but just think about you. You're not calling Jimmy's moving company. You're going to get what you can and run. <laughs> oh, you watch crime shows at least, don't you, Barry? Jesus Christ, Barry. So why did you go to Maryland? We had family there. So you went and you just stayed in somebody's Stayed house. there for like six months. A place on a woman named Twiddles. Country, right? Country Road. Hey, everybody. Let me remind you one more time about my new blueprint for success. It's a project I've spent months and months working on just to help you jumpstart your comedy career and beat the competition. Whether you want to do stand-up, sketch, improv, acting, writing, producing, directing, radio, social media influencing, or even if you want a career behind the scenes as a manager or agent, Blueprint for Success will give you all the tools you need to take your career to the highest levels. With exclusive interviews, my top 50 commercial-free episodes from Industry Standard, one-on-one -on -one coaching with me, and unprecedented access into my knowledge and experience from over 40 years in this crazy business. I guarantee you that with Blueprint for Success, you'll become the creator you've always dreamed of becoming. No one's asking me to do this. I want to do it because I want to help you become truly undeniable. So just go to barrycats.com, click on Blueprint for Success, and start your incredible journey today. I truly can't wait to work with you to help you change the trajectory of your comedy career forever. And what, she had one bedroom or something? No, she had a big, horrible, it was a giant house with snakes in it. And it was just horrible. The house was horrible. We had fun. And so we. we was it a good neighborhood in Maryland? Yeah, it was a great. It was just nothing but, you know. Land, a lot of land. And, and then your mom got another job. Yeah, she just got a job, and uh, and we did that. And, and, like, we want us being in Merlin from the city, we go to, and, you know, and, and that place. It was so nice. They had just had the, the bikes laying in the lawn, and we're from the city. We're like, look at these free bikes. <laughs> it wasn't our bike, but they just laying there. We're like, oh, free bikes. So we must have stalled at least 42 bikes. <laughs> <laughs> And he had to, you know. And you sold the bike. We just had the bikes. We'd just get them, ride them, and, you know, we just had a whole bike thing. And we lay them in a, the cornfields, just lay them down. And they had a big art. That was a big article in the Federalsburg Gazette, I guess. Bike bandits strike again. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, we, we, we were in there for like at least maybe a year. So and you then were we came a thief. back to Philly. A thief? No, no, don't say it like that. I was a kid, I was innocent. <laughs> no. The bikes was there. All right. We're from the city, uh, okay. Barry. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to the podcast. I want to talk to you about an amazing documentary that I worked on a few years back called I Killed JFK, which was unlike anything I ever did in my life. It centered on a man who'd been in prison for 30 years, was the only person in history to have admitted to killing Kennedy, and his story is unbelievable. He started as a runner for the mob. He was hired to drive two hitmen from that city around Dallas, and he ended up being the guy who calibrated their weapons. And he was there that day with one of his own and took the fatal shot that killed John F. Kennedy on the grassy knoll. 
His story, the footage, the interviews, never been seen before. You can't find them anywhere else except on this documentary. So go to barrycats.com to the merch page and buy the documentary with the rare interviews of the five greatest historical experts in the world. So just go to barrycats.com, the merch page, pick up the documentary and interviews, and I guarantee it will reverse the way you feel about what happened that day in 1963 and change your opinion of the government and how it works and alter the way you think about things forever. Lastly, I want to talk to you about something really impactful and it involves something really close to my heart, self-education. You see, throughout my life, I realized that every success I've ever achieved in my career has come from the education I received from my experiences in the business. And I truly believe that we all have the knowledge inside of us that others would kill for. And by sharing that, we can open up an entirely new world of possibilities for ourselves. That's why I'm so excited to tell you that I've partnered up with my friend Tony Robbins, who's been number one in this field for 40 years. Along with his team of experts, Dean Graziosi and Russell Brunson, they'll show you how to take that valuable knowledge in your mind and turn it into an incredibly profitable mastermind workshop or event, just like they have and continue to do in their careers. And they're launching a new training program that's literally changing people's lives by helping people like you be a part of this $129 billion a year business. So it's an incredible opportunity for someone like yourself to build your own business, share your knowledge, and help and serve people in a huge way with the guidance of Tony Robbins, the best in the business. He's actually going to teach people like you how to make big money and build a successful business. So if you're ready to take your life to the next level, they're doing a free live training session, barrykbb.com. That's B-A-R-R-Y-K-B-B.com. Look, I've done over 440 free podcast episodes of Industry Standard, and because of your incredible response, it's reinforced my belief that we're morally obligated to share and pass on our knowledge with the world and help other people in those ways. I truly believe this, and I really love this groundbreaking training program and how it can turn your knowledge into an extraordinary amount of money. So just go to barrykbb.com, that's B-A-R-R-Y-K-B-B.com, to this free training session with the best in the business, Tony Robbins. I guarantee you, it will change your life forever. As always, this has been Industry Standard with me, Barry Katz. And if you like the show, tell all your friends. And if you don't like the show, tell all your friends. You get out the money Drop that fancy car All the people love you Cause you're going far Life is for the dreamers They have all to gain It's never quite over Till it all feels the same You pick your own poison Dig your own grave Down in the valley 
Thank you for listening to Industry Standard with Barry Katz. If you'd like more info on our schedule of new episodes or how to reach Barry through Twitter, Facebook, or email, go to BarryKatz.com. Before you leave, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast, leave a comment, and rate it, even if you think it blows. Thank you for your support, and have a great day.